Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Hey, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Stand to our feet. Uh, Every week when we come to this moment of our service, we get to open God's Word. When you read God's Word on your own, God speaks. And as we open God's Word collectively, He's going to speak to you in a variety of ways all across this room. Uh, God's going to be communicating. We we believe that. And so we stand in honor of this this moment. Uh, There's going to be some words in red on the screen behind me. We can pull that up now. Uh, So we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Uh, Invite you to read the red words out loud, really loud, really proud with me. Here we go. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us the race marked out for us. Let us the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And Father, we're just so grateful uh, for you, God, that you speak to us at our point of need. So God, as we open your word today, I pray, God, you'd speak to every individual here in this room, that God, you would affirm your love for them, that you would give us practical next steps that we can apply in our life this week to become more of the people that you created us to be and become more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give some a high five and say, run to win. Run to win. Thanks for indulging me in that. A couple weeks ago, we uh, began our study and we looked at uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. And it starts off with this word, therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, you got to kind of rewind the tape and see what it's, it's there for. And when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, it's this hall of fame of faith. It starts off by talking about this dude named Enoch and how Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. I mean, he walked so closely with God. It's like he's talking to God, he's walking in God's presence, and then he's no longer on earth. He's like in heaven with God, like this hero of faith. It talks about Moses, how Moses set aside all the pleasure, all the prestige, all the wealth of of living as royalty in Egypt to fulfill God's purpose and God's call on his life. And it goes on and on uh, through each individual, each hero of faith. And it kind of culminates at the end of chapter 11 in verse 33 through uh, 38, talking about these, these heroes of faith, these, this cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by. And it says this, it says, these are, are those who through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. The, they escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And he's saying, hey, you are surrounded by this 
cloud of witnesses, these men and women who, who through adversity, these men and women who through trials, these men and women who, who through great obstacles and opposition, and even at the, at the facing death for their belief, for their faith, they held on to faith. And now he's saying, you're in the race. That's your lineage. That's what you're a part of. Since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us do the same. Uh, to be clear, I do not believe that this cloud of witnesses is in the grandstands watching you on the track run your race. I, I think they got better things going on in heaven than watching you and I perform as if it were a, a sport. I think those mentioned in Hebrews 11 are witnesses to God. They're not witnesses to us. They're examples to us, not onlookers of us. They've proved that they're, by their testimony, by their witness, that the life of faith is the only life to live. And we're surrounded by that great cloud of, of witnesses. They're not looking at us, but rather we're looking at them as examples of how to run our race. So back to Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, in light of this lineage, in light of those who have who've ran the race ahead of us, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And the author almost, he frames it up with this word, let us, this phrase repeated to give you and I three keys to running our race well. And we talked about the first two a couple weeks ago. Now here's, here's our passage for this week. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That could literally be translated, let a, let, to, to look away from all others to focus on one, to have Jesus in full view, like, like to keep God always before our, our minds. And, and saints throughout the ages, really the heroes throughout the ages, they lived their life with this constant awareness of the presence of God that they kept God always before their minds. And I'm going to give you several quotes to just help underscore that reality and in hopes that you and I would take this as an action point, that, that you and I would take this this week, like I got to keep God, I got to keep Jesus always before my mind. I got to fix my eyes on him. Brother Lawrence said this, fix your thoughts on Jesus and the things of God and you'll find strength, wisdom, and peace. Anybody want some strength, some wisdom, some peace? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Archbishop Fulton Sharon said, we become what we behold. We are fashioned by what we love. As we, we think about God, we become more like, like God, more like Jesus. John Wesley said this, the mind is like a garden. If you do not cultivate it with thoughts of God and meditate on his word, it will be overrun by weeds and worldly distractions. Henry Nouwen said, true meditation is a way of bringing the mind home to God. I love that. It's a way we bring our mind home to God, where it can be filled with his presence and renewed by his spirit. Dr. Charles Stanley said, as we fix our thoughts on Jesus, we are transformed from the inside out, reflecting his character and love to the world. The great devotional writer Andrew Murray said the secret of a close relationship with God. Anybody want a close relationship with God? Here's the secret of a close relationship with God. Lies in cultivating constant awareness of his presence and constantly directing our thoughts towards him, our thought life. Billy Graham, to think about Jesus is to think about the one who embodies love, grace, and redemption. 
He is the true focus of our thoughts and the ultimate source of our purpose. Mother Teresa said to think about Jesus is to think about the one who embodies love, grace, and re- oh, that's Billy Graham. Here's Mother Teresa. <laughs> the more we contemplate on Jesus and his teaching, the more we align our thoughts with his truth and experience the transformative power of his love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, our thoughts shape our actions. Our actions shape our character. Therefore, let us fix our minds on Jesus, for he is the perfect example of love, compassion, and righteousness. Max Licato, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, for in him you'll find strength to overcome any obstacle and hope that endures any trial. Do you need strength for some obstacles? you need hope in the midst of trials? It's found in anchoring our thought life in Jesus. Rick Warren says, when we fix our attention on Jesus, we are reminded of his unconditional love, his grace, his sacrifice for us. It is through him that we find redemption and the power to live transformed lives. Now, my favorite final two quotes. I thought about just giving you these two, but, but I thought a little more uh, color might be helpful. Here, here's one of my favorite books. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote this book called The Pursuit of God. It's a little wordy, but he says this. He says, the man who struggles to purify himself and has nothing but repeat failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. While he looks at Christ, the very thing that he's so long been trying to do will be getting done in him. It will be God working in him to will and to do. And really, this was profound reality when I first started following Jesus. I remember when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I came to Jesus with with addictions and, and struggles from my past. This, uh, you know, for 21 years of my life, I'd lived life and thought through this grid. And I was like, God, I, 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 I need help. And I, I tried to find self-help. I tried to, I tried to tinker with my own soul and find freedom to find joy, to find fulfillment. But what I discovered, it wasn't until I, I surrendered to Jesus and I started fixing my eyes on him and said, God, that's, you're all I want. I, I just need to know you more. I started memorizing scripture and fixing my eyes on him. And what I discovered in that process is that as I was fixing my eyes on him, the things I'd so long been trying to see become reality in my life were being done in me. And it wasn't me doing it. It was God doing it. When we stop tinkering with our own souls and look away to the perfect one, the things you've so longed for in your life will begin to take root. This next quote I have on my desk, and I, it's actually on this uh, handout. Uh, the first part of it is anyway. Uh, we'll refer to this again later. But I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but th- this quote's on my desk. I, I read it often. And I'm going to read the whole quote very slowly. It's from Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. And he says this, he says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. You know, Christianity gets tagged as a lot of things. People as followers of Jesus, we say, well, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. Here's the first and most basic thing. Here's the primary thing for you and I as followers of Jesus is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly on him. In early time of our practicing, we may be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, which honestly is a very gracious way of saying, like, we think about a whole lot of stuff that doesn't really matter. But focusing on him who is eternal really does matter. And and. And it's somewhat of a challenge for us, to say the least. 
He says this, he says, but these are habits and not the law of gravity. They can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass consistently returns to the north. If God is our greatest longing of our soul, he'll become the pole star of our inward being. We must keep God always before our minds. All that to say, This is foundational in our Christian walk. We must fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So here's a good question to process over lunch. Here's a good question to talk about in your home this week. How do you practically keep God before your mind every day? What's a practice you do on a daily basis to keep God always before your mind? And we could all probably share a variety of of habits that help us. And just talking about those might help someone else. So let's talk about that um, over lunch, over conversations on the patio as we help set up for best week ever afterwards. That'd be awesome. Um, Hebrews 12.2 says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author. This means the, it could literally be translated, he's the pioneer. He's the chief leader. He's the chief example. Like of all the heroes of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11, that none of them compare. All of them collectively pale in comparison to this example of Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter. In other words, he's the completer of it. So, so our faith, it, it's originated in Jesus. It finds completeness in Jesus. Therefore, let's think about him. Let's talk about him. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus Verse 3 says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. It's to think deeply about him, to think, to reason with thoroughness, to reason with completeness, to, to, to reason until, until complete. So it's to, I'm going to consider him, I'll think about him until I have Jesus in full view, which I would suggest is probably going to take a lifetime. If you get there before me, let me know your secret consider him. So I want to spend the remainder of our time just considering him. What are, how, how, do, how did Jesus keep God always before his mind? He's our, he's our chief example. He's the, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So he lived this life of faith. So how do we fix our eyes on Jesus? The first fill in the blank in your notes there is to do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. And so how did Jesus keep God always before his mind? I, I want to look at three practices of Jesus. Uh, we could talk about several, but I just want to Focus on three. The first practice of Jesus that we see him doing consistently is prayer and solitude. Prayer and solitude. Constantly getting away in a quiet place by himself to pray, to spend time with the Father. We could separate these two, but for the sake of time, we're going we're gonna to combine them into one. It was John Orberg who said this, uh, prayer isn't a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. And I think for some of us here, prayer seems like mundane. Prayer seems boring. Prayer seems like this religious exercise that I, I must do rather than a joy. And I think it's because we, we, feel, we come to God and feel like we have to wear this face of like this, this good person as if, as if we don't have any struggles in our life, as if we're not processing some things in real time. Uh, and so we, we wear this facade, almost like, um, almost like a, a kid who comes to their parent and like, you can't see me, daddy. You can't see me. It's like... Yeah, okay, but I can see you. You know, I think when we come to God and we, we, we play that game, it's like, no, I know what you did, and I love you anyway. Now, I saw the mistake, and that's why I went to the cross. Like, I, he embraces you. He knows you fully. You're fully known and yet fully loved. 
And that's honestly the greatest gift any human being can ever receive, to be fully known and to be fully loved, and that's how God sees you. So prayer isn't a place to, to be good. It's a place to be honest. And if you want to read some honest prayer, like read Psalms. Like, not necessarily great to frame up your theology, uh, but great to see some honest prayer. And God, through the Holy Spirit, allows it in Scripture. Like David, as he's praying, he's like, God, crush the teeth of my enemy. Bust them in the jaw. And I'm like, yeah, God, do that. Because there's some people that I want to pray for your pastor. Maybe you don't have those thoughts. But sometimes I do. And I want to break some jaws. But I, I, I don't. Um, but it's okay to talk to God about those people in my life, right? He, he says things like, smash the heads of their children. I'm like, are you for real? Like, this is a man after your own heart? It's a guy who's praying not to be good, but to be honest. And so whenever we come to God in prayer and in solitude, it's a time to be honest with God and speak very candidly with him. Uh, someone asked me at the first service, they're like, hey, I know I should pray. I haven't prayed in years. Um, uh, what do you do? What do you do? And so just one thing that's helpful for me, I do this from time to time. Maybe it's helpful for you. If you already got this practice nailed down, then keep doing what you're doing. Uh, but for me, one thing I do oftentimes is it, I have my, my usual place of prayer and sometimes I'll have another chair. I'll set up another chair. Or if there's something that I'm processing in my office, I'll, I'll sit around the table and I'll just envision I'm sitting here and, and Jesus is sitting there. And one thing that's helped me do is to cultivate questions. The Bible says in one place, understand what the Lord's will is. Well, how do you understand what the Lord's will is in your situation if you don't ask God what his will is? And so I'll just sit there and I'll envision like God sitting there, like enthroned, like the almighty God. In my mind's eye, I see him that. And then I, and then I just process, here's what I'm thinking, God. It, what do you think? God, I'm thinking maybe I should do this, but I'm just going to take a moment and be silent because I need you to speak to me about that. And God will speak to you. And it might not be like this, Here's what you need to do, Bill. You know, like, but it'll be like this internal dialogue and maybe this thought that pops into your mind that you never thought about before. And, and here's what I've come to land on. If it's not outside of the, 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 the understanding of Scripture, like if it's like, Tim, I want you to write them a note and encourage them. Okay, I'll do that. Usually it's like, ah, oh, they, they need some, shoot them a text. Okay, I'll do that. If it's like, go jump off a building. That's not from God, like, but discern, begin to discern the voice of God, listen to God in prayer, and just talk to him. Just like you talk to somebody on the patio, envision yourself talking to Jesus and process life with him, uh, prayer and solitude. Jesus does this frequently. Uh, Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. So he withdraws to this place of solitude to talk with God. Jesus practices this. My encouragement to you and to me is let's put this into practice as well. Luke 6, 12. Uh, one of those days, Jesus went up uh, to the mountainside and prayed and spent the night praying to God. He spent the night there. And, and Jesus is processing a major decision. Uh, he's going to come out of this, this prayer time with God. And he's going to call his 12 disciples. He's going to choose the 12. He's going to call them out. And so I would encourage you, some of you, man, you're processing big decisions in your life. You're processing decisions that won't only impact you, it'll impact your family. It could impact generations to come. And I would just encourage you before you make a decision, maybe take a night, maybe take two nights, maybe rent an Airbnb and get out of Dodge for a bit. Maybe go camping in the mountains by yourself. Maybe rent a room at these, there's these Catholic monasteries. You can actually rent a room at a lot of them. 
for like a donation of $30 a night. They're not even going to require you to pay. But, but what I'm saying is whatever you do, whatever function that looks like, spend time. Like that's what God does. That's what Jesus does. And, and we're called to follow that example before we step into major decisions. Hear from heaven. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. So in other words, while everyone else is sleeping, Jesus is getting up. He got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 14.23, after he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside and prayed by himself. This is after he feeds the 5,000. And so he introduces to us this rhythm of ministry. Like you pour into others, you pour yourself out, and you retreat to allow God to pour into you. Pour out, allow God to pour in. Pour out, allow God to pour into you. Sustainable rhythm of ministry. Luke 9, 18 says, Once while Jesus was praying in a private place, his disciples asked him, who did the crowd say I am? In other words, he's praying again in private. And what's interesting is the disciples to know where he's praying because they go to him there to ask a question. We see this again in Luke 22, 39. It says this, Jesus went out as usual, as usual, at a usual place to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. This is after the Last Supper. And so Judas is planning to betray him. And so Judas leads this, this Roman uh, army to Jesus. How does he know where Jesus is at? Well, he's at his usual place of prayer. And so a good question for you, a good question for me is, where's your usual place? Like if people come looking for, for Jeff, where's his usual place? People come, come looking for Keith, where's your usual place? People come looking for Michelle, do, do you have a usual place where you spend time there? Just hearing from God, a familiar place. It's helpful in your walk with God. Saints through the ages have all had this. John Mueller, the great evangelist of the 19th century, had this place he called his prayer closet. Martin Luther at uh, Warburg Castle in, in Germany, his study they called the Luther tube or, or, or the Luther's room. His wife would actually have to remove the hinges from this door because Martin Luther would spend so much time there in prayer. It was in that room where he translated the Bible into German for the German people. Mother Teresa at her house in Calcutta, her, the, the monastery there had a place called the Little Room. Charles Spurgeon had a prayer room. Suzanne Wesley had 18 kids, y'all. 18 kids. I mean, the mills are competing, but 18. Dang. 18 kids. So think about that from a logistical standpoint as a mom. Like, where's your quiet place? You have none. And so what Suzanne Wesley would do, she would take her apron and cover her head. And whenever her apron was over her head, the kids knew moms in her quiet place don't bother her. And it was in that space where she would, she would spend time in solitary prayer with God. And from this mom of 18 kids, you might have heard of John Wesley, Charles Wesley, these great evangelists, these weapons for the kingdom, because their mom fought for them in prayer, in solitude, started this, this church that we now know as the Methodist church, this, this methodology of following Jesus. What a beautiful gift. All because she had a, a usual place of prayer. And so what I'm saying is your usual place might look different than others, but, but make sure you have a spot. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances because that's God's plan for your life. Many people say, what's God's will for my life? Be joyful. Pray continually. Let thanks always be on your tongue. 
as you do, you step into who God created you to be. So how do you practice this? How do you put this into practice? Some of you, you have a beautiful habit, a, a rhythm of life where you're constantly keeping God before your mind. You're, you're constantly in communication with God, and that's a beautiful thing. And if you do, I'd say, man, keep doing what you're doing. For some of you, though, you don't have this practice in your life. You're not, this is a foreign rhythm to you. And here's my encouragement to you. Uh, this week, I would encourage you to set your alarm, get up 15 minutes before you typically do, whatever that may look like, and spend five minutes reading God's word, allowing God to speak to you. Spend five minutes processing your day. I got this appointment today, God. I got this meeting. God, I pray you'd help me here. God, I got, I'm processing this with my family. Would you speak to me about that? Five minutes, not long. Just take five minutes. And then spend five minutes memorizing and meditating on God's word and keep God before your mind so that throughout your day, you can call to memory what God has spoke to you that, that morning. Put it into practice. Just 15 minutes, a beautiful space to start. But Jesus modeled this practice for us so we might follow his example to fix our eyes on Jesus' prayer and solitude. The second practice of Jesus is scripture, meditation, and memorization. Jesus memorized scripture and meditated on scripture frequently. Uh, we often think of Jesus because he is God, like, and you're like, well, this is God's word. Like, why did Jesus have to memorize or meditate on anything? Like, it's his, it's his word, right? And, which is true on one hand, but in Philippians, as you're with us through our study, that we, we discovered that Jesus, he emptied himself of his divine privilege, he took on the form of a man, just like you and me. He was born just like you and I were born. Like he, 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 he was a fully human. And so he had to memorize scripture. If he was going to know God's word, he had to think about God's word. If he was going to know how to how apply to different situations, he had to study God's word, just like you do, just like I do. And we see that Jesus was very proficient at this. In several instances, we, we see early on in his life, he was at the temple. His parents left him in Jerusalem. They went like three days away. So if you've ever lost your kid somewhere, feel encouraged. Uh, Mary and Joseph forgot Jesus. Uh, not just for a little bit, three days. Wow. But he's in the temple. He's like, hey, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Uh, but here's five places where we see Jesus exercising this this practice of memorizing and meditating on God's word uh, in the desert temptation. So right after his baptism, the Holy Spirit leads him away and the, the, the enemy tempts him. And he, uh, he, he leads him to this place. It's in Mark chapter four. And every time the enemy comes with a temptation, Jesus refutes it with scripture. And he doesn't have a Bible. He didn't pack a scroll with him. No, he, he just has it in his memory. He's constantly thinking about it. The Sermon on the Mount is another example. Jesus begins to expound on Old Testament law and what teachers of their day were laying layers on top of that. And so Jesus would say, hey, you've heard it said this, but now I tell you this. And he, he lays out this transformative truth from, from memory after deep meditation and study of God's word. We see him engaging with religious leaders and constantly referring to scriptures always on his mind in daily conversation prophecies and messianic fulfillment, he would read a scripture and say, I'm fulfilling this today. Or he would do something and say, that's to fulfill that passage. After his resurrection, he appears to his disciples. And he's saying, you remember, a, remember this in the Old Testament? Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? The reason it didn't go the way you thought it was because I was fulfilling all of, all of those. And so Jesus practiced this. How are you doing with this practice of constantly memorizing meditating on God's word. It's, it's a practice that will allow you to keep Jesus always before your mind, to fix your thoughts 
on him. And if this is a new idea to you, uh, we've created these uh, for you. Uh, And so great place to start. Why not begin memorizing, meditating, thinking about the passage we're studying now? And so Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, my encouragement to you would be this. Uh, Best time would be right before you go to bed at night. So tonight, before you go to bed, read this. Think about it. Spend some time contemplating it. First thing in the morning when you wake up, read it. Think about it, contemplate it, and you'll be amazed at how this shapes your week. And, and I would, maybe you're skeptical, like, I don't know, bro. Like, really, does it make that big of a deal? Just try it. Just try it and see how this week goes differently than last. And if you already have a practice, beautiful. Keep doing it. The third practice of Jesus that I want to encourage us to apply and practice in our lives is Sabbath. Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20, God's laying out the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel. And this is the only one of the ten that he expounds on. If you read the Ten Commandments, they're like very short sentences. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this one he gives a whole paragraph to. Now, I don't know if he knew we in Silicon Valley in 2023 would really struggle with this one or what, but he gives us some why behind it. Here it is, uh, Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On that day you shall not work, neither you nor your sons, your daughters, your manservants, your maidservants, nor your animals, nor the aliens at your gate, within your gates. Verse 11, for within... With, For six days the Lord made, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Now, if you're like me and you hear this idea of Sabbath or like taking a day to do nothing, you're like, bro, you don't know how busy I am. Like, I got, not only do I have a lot of work to do, I got kids, they got ball games, I got, I'm their shuttle, I am their Uber driver. Like, what do you mean take a day to rest? And I would just suggest to you one challenging thought that I've fed myself is God rested on the seventh day. And surely God has a little bit more going on than I do. Like he's the creator of the universe and he modeled this practice of rest to give you the grace to say, okay, I think I can rest too. Finally, it says, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, he made it different. So there's six days to do work, but there's something different about this, this Sabbath day. Now, I would say this, like, you know, if you don't keep the Sabbath, are you a terrible person and going to hell? No, like, I, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Jesus said. But this is good for you. If you want to have your soul feel alive, Sabbath is is necessary. And so what do, you, what do you do? Like practically, what do you do on a Sabbath day? Uh, there's a book that uh, I just read this year. Uh, it's great read. It's by John Mark Comer. I might write this down. Uh, his book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It's actually on sale today on Kindle for like $3. And uh, I get no like proceeds from this. This is just a free pitch because it's super helpful for me. Now, if you're crushing the Sabbath and like you have no problems with the Sabbath, you always keep the Sabbath, keep doing what you're doing. Don't read the book. Save yourself some time. But if you struggle like me with keeping a day of rest to do nothing separated from the other six days, they don't just all smash together. 
And this is probably a good book for you to check out. Here's what John Mark says. This is just a footnote in the book. There's a whole lot more he unpacks here. Uh, But three things to do on the Sabbath. Three things to do on the Sabbath. So the first is to stop. Just stop. Stop looking at the emails. Stop all the text messaging. The voicemails will be there tomorrow. Just stop. And if you're like me, that's really hard. I think ideally would be to put our phones, power them off. That actually does work, not just to reset our phones. You can shut it off for a day and, and just rest. And if you're like me, maybe you're not there yet either. And so what I've discovered on my iPhone, I can adjust notifications. And so I have one called Sabbath, and I've adjusted all the notifications on there so the only person that can get a hold of me from my phone is my wife. She can call me or text me, and it will pop up as a notification. All of the notifications are silent. So I'm not following the Cardinals that day. I'm not seeing what's happening on ESPN. Um, only way that I do see other text messages is if I open it and actually look at them, which I have been known to stumble and do from time to time. I am in recovery in this area of my life. <laughs> but stop. Like, it's a, it's a guilt-free day to stop. You're not bad for it. We live in this culture of constant go, 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 go. And if you don't, then you kind of are, are lazy or weak. And I would just suggest that's a lie from the pit of hell because the Bible actually commands us to stop. Sabbath, a day of rest. So what do you do on the Sabbath? You stop and then you rest. You're like, well, what's that? Do I just stay in bed all day? Like, is it a PJ day? Uh, For some of you, that's probably exactly what you need Uh, because maybe you haven't done this for years. Uh, So maybe a PJ day is exactly what you need. Uh, I would say rest is is what what do you do that makes your soul feel alive? What is it that breathes life into you? When you do it, you're like, yes. I feel so refreshed. For me, on my Sabbath day, so my Sabbath day is maybe a little different than yours. Mine's on Friday. And so on Friday, when I'm at my best, I don't do this every week, but when I'm at my best, I try to find the earliest tea time I can. And so usually at sunrise, and I try to get out by myself. And sometimes at nine holes, sometimes it's 18, depending on what I got going on that day. But there's something about getting out in nature. There's something about golf that allows me to focus my attention on something else and not think about what I got going on at work or not, not thinking about how I'm not doing that task that I know is on my to-do list and hanging over my head. It allows me just to unplug. It, it's, it re- revives my soul. I come back a better man. I come back a better husband after golf. And all the golfers said amen. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's refreshing to me. And then after that, throughout the day, I eat some delicious food with my wife. During the school year, Friday's our date day. We do date lunch and we catch up on life and we have to constantly remind each other we're not talking about work right now. Like this is us. In the evenings, when we're at our best, we're, we're playing games with our kids or in this season of life, we're probably at one of their games or probably at one of their practices. But even at that, that can become, feel like work for me. So I have to remind myself, no, this is good. Like I'm so grateful. My, I have kids. I'm so grateful. Like they're, they're active. It's, this is a day of, of rest. So stop, rest, and then finally worship. Worship. I challenge you with this. Try to find in scriptures where Jesus isn't in the temple, isn't gathered with God's people talking about the heart of God on a Sabbath. He's always there. He's always there, gathered with God's people, talking about the heart of God in worship. 
And for you, you're doing it. Like, congratulations. You're, you've already checked one of the boxes. We've gathered in this place to re, recalibrate our hearts to God. To, 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 to pause and say, God, I just need to slow down to allow my soul to catch up to my body in the frantic pace of life that I run at throughout the week. God, I'm here just to recalibrate my, my attention. I'm here to focus on you. This is a time when I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going to rest. I'm going to worship. And implementing that, a 24-hour period into your weekly rhythm will revive your soul. And again, you don't have to be dogmatic about this. For my wife, she, she does Friday at noon to Saturday at noon. And that works for her. Me, I'm kind of an all-or-nothing guy, so it's got to be Friday. And so my notification, I actually have it programmed in my phone. So on Friday, when I look at my phone, the, the image, the background image changes. It's my little daughter blowing me a kiss. And I'm like, ah, Sabbath day. A day to do nothing and rest and worship. I would just encourage you to give yourself the grace to do that. Give yourself the grace to do that. And it's actually a command of God that you'll be fulfilling when you do. Imagine what your life would look like this week if you put those three practices into action. Imagine how different your week would go if you just started each day processing the things of life with your loving Heavenly Father, knowing that He sees you, He knows everything you've done, and He welcomes you into His presence anyway. He is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. If you need wisdom, He's got it. If you need strength, it's, He's the source. If you need financial advice, like He owns all the crypto, all the banks, like he's, there's never been an acquisition He didn't see. Like he's got wisdom for you. Ask him. Prayer and solitude. Imagine what life would be like this week if you began memorizing and meditating on God's word. Imagine whenever the enemy comes to you this week. And, and, and here's the deal with the enemy. He's not going to show up with red horns and a pitchfork. He's gonna look, it's going to look so good and look so attractive, right? And you just need to recognize it as a lie and refute it with truth. Imagine the freedom we could walk in if we did that this week. And imagine what life would be like if you, you made a commitment today, say, I'm going to start practicing Sabbath. I realize it's a command of God. I realize I've been missing it. And maybe that's why my soul feels so weary. I'm going to start taking 24 hours just to rest, to stop, to rest, to worship, because isn't he worthy of it all anyway? Jesus modeled it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus and live the way that Jesus lived. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.